This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. You asked for it, you got it, man. We didn't get to roll over pass and all the ins and outs of everything that is happening over and has happened over there uh, in a long time. It is a hot button topic, but you know what? Uh, we've got opinions on all that stuff, and I think that's part of the reason why we enjoy doing the podcast and why you guys enjoy uh, listening to this podcast. We'll tell you about fishing. We'll tell you about tactics. We'll tell you about strategies. We'll tell you about issues. We'll tell you about weather. We'll tell you about effects. And uh, I enjoy, normally I'm just directing the show here because I got thoughts and opinions and experience, but not like my two buddies that are sitting opposite me. Captain Scott, Scott Knoll is uh, popping a couple of beers. He's two-fisting it right now as we speak. Uh, I think he's going to take one drink at a time. And Captain Caleb McCumber is uh, showing his guns off today. Yeah, it looks like he got a little tune-up on his tats and uh, keeping the, the short sleeve, uh, sleeveless shirt going. Uh, so we're going to start there with rollover pass. I'm John Lopez. I just mentioned Scott and Caleb, and uh, we got a really good show. I don't know what the heck's going to happen in today's show because if the pre-show was uh, any indication, it could go in this way or the otter. <laughs> See what I did there? Uh, and uh, we'll talk about that at some point. Uh, but Sabine Lake, this is a John Lopez special uh, because I know Scott and Caleb have experience there, and they've done tournaments out of there. But uh, I I was uh, home basing out of Sabine Lake, and somebody asked me specifically, man, why don't you say more about Sabine Lake and everything that it has to offer? Uh, so I'll start it and get these guys' opinion, improving sidecasting success. Boy, that's going to be uh, impressive. Good question there from one of the people on uh, one of our listeners on the group page. And I will mention the group page here. If you're listening to us for the first time, Facebook group page is the place to go. To get those topics and suggestions and questions uh, to us, post them. We'll use them, or you can direct message us. I'm also at Lopez on Sports on Instagram. We have a Bite Me podcast. Instagram, it's Bite underscore Me underscore podcast uh, on Instagram. Captain Scott, you can reach on Facebook. Captain Caleb TV on Facebook, and uh, don't forget to subscribe uh, anywhere you get a podcast. Uh, iTunes, Spotify, everywhere you get a podcast, uh, you can get it there. So let's get going, boys, because. Uh, we like to have more content uh, than set up on this show, and uh, we left it. We left our listeners hanging, Scott and Caleb, uh, because uh, we we mentioned last week, and that happens. We get off on these tangents, uh, and it's always good because it's usually a tangent because we have a great discussion going on. Um, but we didn't get to roll over pass, and the question. I'll start with the question first. And there are so many levels to this. We might do, you know, pretty good uh, chunk of, of uh, discussion on this because uh, one of our listeners said, I would like to hear you all talk about the effects of closing rollover pass. Uh, I saw hardly any salt water this summer in East Bay back there uh, in some of the back lakes. Uh, they were totally fresh. My red fish spots have not been the same. And let me just set it up, not to hog the mic here, because I generally like to defer to you guys uh, for the majority of the podcast, but just a little bit, uh, I guess, part history lesson, uh, part, um, you know, what has happened with uh, uh, with Rollover Pass. Uh, one of the ways that I, I described it to you guys was 
closing rollover pass, was it progress? Was it protecting the fishery? Or was it just good old capitalism and politics? And my short answer to that would be yes. Uh, I think a little bit of all of that uh, was uh, involved. I, I sent you guys some uh, information, uh, you know, as far as like the history. We're not going to, you know, go to school here, but it has been around forever. I mean, rollover pass, maybe not open as it was for, for decades, uh, beginning in the early 1950s. Uh, but, uh, basically it is something that has been there for a long, long time. In fact, it got uh, its name, uh, rollover pass from, uh, pirates, uh, used to basically roll, uh, their barrels of liquor through there when they're smuggling them. Uh, and so that's how it got its name. Uh, but, but Caleb, I, I'm actually going to start with you because, uh, I'm very, very, very proud of you. You, you did even more homework. You know, your, you know, your stuff on, uh, on uh, the ins and outs of it in a general sense, but you actually dug in like I did just to make sure we have the right opinions here on rollover pass. So, so the question that I posed to you was progress protecting the fishery or good old fashioned capitalism and politics. It is a hot button issue. Um, people who did not want it closed were adamant about it and angry about it and Facebook group pages that were dedicated to keeping rollover pass open. So, so let's start right there. Um, is it progress or is it protecting the fishery, uh, from where you, from where, you know, where you sit? One more thing I want to add before I toss to you, Caleb, is the, the, basically the argument and the reason that it was closed is because they found a lot of sediment getting into the beach. Uh, a lot of, uh, you know, of the fishery was getting harmed. Yes, there were a lot of fish. You could fish from the bank. It was easy access, it was cheap, but it was affecting the fishery. That is the reasoning for it. What were your initial takeaways uh, from the question that, that, that was asked to us? Yeah, it, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to claim to be a rollover past fisherman. I fish around there quite a bit. I have, you know, the guy says some of our red fishing. When I'm tournament fishing, I'm over in that area pretty often, at least checking on it. Um, I did a lot of research, uh, visited multiple Facebook posts, so I have good, accurate information. Uh, mostly from what I can see is it was shut down for safety issues. There was, uh, there are quite a few otters getting into our fishery from there. And <laughs> all right. All right. Let's pause. An otter, for a an otter can scratch let's, your face off. Let's okay? pause for a second. I said it. I said the word otter earlier. You just said it right there. One to one. Scott's down. <laughs> Before we turned on the mics, somehow, some way, Caleb's mind went to a place where he said, Hey, I wonder how many times we could say the word otter during this week's podcast. So I don't want to, I don't want to piss off. Sorry, Caleb. A lot of our listeners by just constantly saying otter, but good, good by you. And I wanted to explain it to our listeners. All right. Actually, actually, let me explain a little bit here. If you go on Facebook right now and type the, the search word otter and fishing groups, there's something to it. I promise. And it's good. Oh, I don't know that you, you, that was above my head then. Yeah. I, uh, I could be, oh, I could be. Uh, yeah. I feel like worth I, your I, time. Yes. Yes. Okay. Just do that. Okay. Now, if you're, if you're a confused otter fan out there, <laughs> uh, just, uh, just go on YouTube and search, uh, otter attack or something. It's great. Uh, All right. Well, you anyway. guys, you guys got one over on me there. Okay. Okay. So on to the otter thing. We, I, I fished over there quite a bit and some of the stuff that I see is, you know, the freshwater issues and whatnot. Um, yeah, it was fresh over there a lot this year, but man, it rained. It's it, cats and cats and otters. It rained cats and otters out over there. And so I can see it being that way. Um, but do I think that could it be more, more salinity if rollover is there? Heck yeah, it could. 
but you've got the intercoastal feeding right there. You've got stingrays cut and all that. So I don't see it being um, just fresh. Now, on to the next thing. Is it capitalism or is it for our fishery? <laughs> hard, in this day and age, it's hard to say. There's def- definitely the amount of money that went into dredging over there because, yeah, it does do that. There's the amount of money in keeping that thing open because, as we see time and time again, if something isn't supposed to be there and we put it there and you're dealing with salt water in nature, they have a way of getting rid of it quickly yeah. and rapidly, right? Um, but I do sympathize with the people that go down there and this is where they go park their truck and fish and do their thing because I know I know several people that do it. I know that it can be really good fishing and you know I'm sure it's a kick in the gut for it to be closed. But as far as do I have the intelligence to decide which one it is? Um, I'll let y'all join the Facebook group. We'll talk about it. Now, Kayla, uh, Scott, um, I think it, we live in a day and age where it's either black or white. You're either with us or you're against us. I truly believe that the issue of rollover pass closing is one where you really got to look at every angle here and maybe understand every angle. Do I understand why why people were upset because this was a, a premier fishery? Yes. Uh, I mean, I grew up. You know, I've, ta- I've talked about it on this uh, on this podcast. I didn't have a boat until I was in college, man. I mean, I grew up rollover. I grew up in San Antonio, so I used to go to Port Aransas and Corpus and uh, Oso Pier and the Naval Air Station and all that. But fishing from the banks, finding that I get it. No one on this podcast gets it more uh, than than cheap, good fishing. Uh, that that there's going to be a lot of people there. But you know what? You're just happy to be fishing. I get that it's sad that it's closed. We used to park our car, just go fish, get it done. I totally understand it. But let's not try to be black. There is sometimes there is a gray area. So I get that. But I also get uh, the, the Texas Land Office was very, very clear in its research, Scott. Very clear. And they showed the data and they actually showed photos and time lapse pictures of the erosion that was going on. Uh, of of what really happened after Hurricane Ike, how that bridge was vulnerable to total collapse, um, and and I'm not I, I don't think they were overstating it. So there's there's the man, what a shame because I, I've been there, I get it, I understand it. Then there's like real danger here for the fishery and the uh, and, and the structures around it, including the bridge, which you know who knows what would happen if that thing collapses in the middle of a storm. And then there's the the other part of it. Is it uh, capitalism and politics? I think that's a yes, too. I think that's part of the gray area because that, you know it better than any of us, Scott, that real estate is primo, man. I mean, there are people who want to capitalize on that, using the word capitalism. And, uh, yeah, they, they have people in, uh, lack of a better term, in their pockets, on their, on their side that would maybe nudge this through a little quicker because of political contributions and everything. So all I'm saying is, it's not black or white, and I wanted to get your thoughts, especially on, on the erosion and the capitalism part. The money was just not there to fix it. It needed fixing. Uh, the bridge needed to be redone. Uh, the sides needed to be redone. It was it was nasty. I mean, the last few times that I went down there just messing around, I launched my kayak there and fished East Bay. And, uh, and the, the bulkhead was all tore up. The sidewalks were cracked up. Uh, I get it. You know, it was a great place to back, like you said, back the truck up, sit there, you know, have a good time, crack a couple of beers and just sit and fish. It was great for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did it. You know, I did it as a kid and, you know, didn't crack the beers as a kid, but 
I, I did go down there. I fished it a good bit. Uh, but they were spending half a million to a million dollars a year dredging the intercoastal right there. Uh, all that sand was coming in from the beach side on every incoming tide, and it went right straight in there, and the first deep water was the intercoastal. So that's where it fell off. Uh, that's a major, major passageway for barges and all of our commerce. So it had to stay open. Uh, if they just left it alone, didn't dredge, that thing would have been a big sand flat back there all the way into East Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one, you got the, the one-time huge output of money to fix all of the infrastructure back there, which, you know, that wasn't really available to them. And then the continuing uh, maintenance of dredging. So it was honestly, it was cheaper to fill it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's basically what it came down to. Uh, I really didn't have an opinion one way or another on it uh, when it was going on. I just kind of sat back and watched the fight. But uh, <laughs> as far as what it did to the fishing, that's a minor little bitty pass uh, compared with the, the pass at Galveston. I mean, you know, Go out there and look, look at that big open, open water there between the jetties mm-hmm. and all that water's filtering into the bay, coming up the intercoastal, coming around the corner and going into East Bay. Uh, there's plenty of flow. I don't think that that's a, a real issue. Uh, then rollover bay right there where they filled it in that backside. That's a lot of oysters and a lot yeah. of good, good territory in there. And there's all kind of marshes up and down the intercoastal through that section. Uh, Marshes thrive in brackish water, so I would think that it would actually make the marshes better and more productive to have less salt uh, coming through that cut than than it would be to leave it open and have that continuous flushing right there. Um, I'm no expert on East Bay. Yeah, I, I fished it a lot when I was younger, but I haven't been over there honestly in you know probably 15, 20 years to seriously fish it real hard. But uh, as far as yeah, it was fresh all summer. <laughs> yeah, join the club. Yeah, where was it? We not were all fresh. fresh. <laughs> yeah, and I'm getting fresh again right now because we just got ten inches dumped on us last night down here in Port. Yeah, your pond looks pretty big. It looked bigger than the last time I saw it. Yeah, it's uh, all the way up to the porch. I got minnows swimming by as we speak. <laughs> Any otters eating them? Oh, I got God. no. I think otters. that's like five to one to zero there, uh, Caleb. You I, I have zero otters, but I do have my pistol handy just in case one comes. And <laughs> there we go. You can never. You can off. never be too safe. So, That's Caleb, right. uh, you know, it begs the question, well, two questions pop to mind. You know, people getting into, we want people to fish, and we want people to get into fishing. It does make it a little more difficult, and, and, and I, as I mentioned, I totally get that. So you can find areas. It's a good time to maybe get into a, a cheap kayak. Uh, there are other areas in the Galveston area, jetties and such, where you can find and maybe even uh, you know, be better, uh, in, in terms of, uh, covering more ground as, as a shore, a shore, you know, fisherman. And then what your thoughts are on that back lake. Forget the, the freshwater. I think we all agree that was just the, the nature of the beast up and down the coast with all the rain we had. But what is that back lake going to look like if this in two, five, ten years, uh, continues to stay, you know, uh, covered up and, and it goes the way it is? Well, I don't, I don't think that it's much different. With or without rollover, I've got I fish back lakes all over the place that don't have a cut anywhere near them. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it it did we did we get a bunch of rain or did we not? It is that simple. The 
the fresh water is going to either it, it'll it'll as it evaporates, this water is going to get saltier again as the tides come in and out. And and the lake I'm talking about that's over there by rollover, it's the same way. When it rains a lot, yeah, it gets fresh. It gets stinking fresh. That being said, Daniel and I went in there whenever it was super fresh this summer and caught the heck out of redfish. They were all yeah. six six pounders. They didn't do as much good, but they're still there. They're they're not they aren't going to go well as fresh. We're leaving and not coming back, right? Um, as far as finding somewhere to go, uh, there's still all kinds of roads and whatnot. They go right there to that little rollover bay, drop a kayak in there, paddle across, and all of a sudden you're at Sun Oil and all the stuff over there. Um, you know, it's just it's just move and adapt. It's what everybody does. The, over here where I'm at, hurricanes change stuff, and we can't fish things all of a sudden, or we can fish things all of a sudden. And it, it's just it's just a move that you have to make whenever you keep going with the times. Scott, before we put a pin in this topic, um, there is um, it is a place right now uh, at rollover where it is absolutely a gray area. I think anybody who's art people get angry. I get it. I, you know, we don't always like it, but if you can just look at it, you know, in terms of yes, it's progress and necessary. Yes, it's protecting the fishery, and yes, there's going to be more homes sold around there now. You know, <laughs> so okay, that's just the way. It's a little bit of everything. Yeah, I mean that. The one of the other parts that they were concerned about was a storm taking that bridge out and right. leaving all those people stuck on Bolivar. Because uh, they shut the ferry down. When those storms are coming, you'll hear it. The ferry gets shut down as soon as that water starts coming up to a certain level, and those tides get up with the storms in the Gulf, and they'll they'll close the ferry. So that's the only way in and out. Say that that's going on, and now the bridge gets washed out. Yeah. Uh, now you've got thousands of people stuck on Bolivar with no way out. So it was a safety concern from that aspect as well. But uh, I honestly, on the fishing side, I seriously doubt that it is going to have any major impact, negative impact. And um, Caleb, there the could guys be guys that were. Go ahead, Scott. Those guys that were dead set against it and a lot of the noise that came up from that, there was a small group of guys that were rollover experts that that's where they went to catch their big trout every year. There were certain mm-hmm. times of the year that big trout were pretty vulnerable right there, and they could they could do really well catching some really big, nice trout. And I get it. We all want to go catch that 30-inch trout, and that was a place that it could be done. So I could understand them being a little upset that that was taken away from sure. them. Uh, but, Caleb, there is a, a positive and a negative, maybe even more positive economic impact here that, that this has happened. Yeah, I, I'm, so – I'm, I'm on Google. They're sitting there looking at it. And then, then one of the articles I read said that the government took it from the private and landowners, made the cut, and then gave the land back to the private landowner. Did you get the same from yeah, that? I saw that. Okay. Uh, and I, I'm looking at the maps around here. You've got Gilchrist, which is right there by the cut. And, yeah, it, it brings some people there to, I don't know, buy bait or beer or something like that. But I'm looking at the land around here. So by closing rollover, what is there that is actually a land grab? What is there that somebody's going to develop? And yeah, I feel like I feel like that having a fishing destination there would be, if that's really what they wanted to do, it would be better to leave that cool spot to fish open to build their, I don't know, hotel or lodge or whatever you want to do. Um, and then once you pass Gilchrist, which isn't much, there's nothing until High Island, and High Island has a direct access to I-10. So I don't really understand the argument at all on this is a government grab to make money here. It's 
It, I think it's more of a fact that the government's tired of spending money on it. Yeah, that's what Scott was saying. All right, so um, here's another topic that we really haven't hit uh, in the past, and I'm going to start it, but you guys uh, have fished uh, at Sabine Lake a lot, and, and we've got listeners. we got a Florida question today, somebody coming from Florida, uh, somebody coming from Sabine. We, we get questions all, all up and down the Texas coast. Um, so the question was Sabine from Sabine, and I think it's good for both Caleb and, and Scott, but I'll start it. Um, like, guys, love the podcast. Talk about Sabine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's kind of generalizing, <laughs> but, uh, you know, talk about Sabine. It's, I put it this way on, on the rundown, um, that I sent you guys because it, we're always, looking for different places to fish. And that's how I landed in Sabine. I just mentioned I grew up fishing on the lower coast, uh, mostly from shorelines uh, until I got to college. And then I really hit uh, East Matagorda heavy, you know, when I was a younger man here. And then uh, I would try Trinity Bay. I was heavy into Trinity Bay for a while. And then I kept hearing these things, Scott, hearing these things. Man, Sabine. Oh, boy, Sabine. And you know me, I love the big trout. Big trout coming out of Sabine. And I'm like, screw it. I'm just going to you know, get a trailer, park it at Sabine, do what we talk about on this podcast, learn that lake, learn that bay, every inch, piece by piece, pie, pie slice by pie slice, and, and really, and really hammer Sabine. So I was there about five years and had some unbelievable days on Sabine. I mean, unbelievable, until I caught that 30, uh, about a year and a half ago, probably the three biggest trout I ever caught were in Sabine. Um, and, and so the question of, 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 that I put out there is why Sabine Lake has it all for better and for worse. And I say that with experience because when you look at Sabine Lake, if you're thinking about going there, and I want to get just your general thoughts on fishing there, both you guys, but, but this is my perspective. It has everything you want. It has jetties. I do that in the summer. Beautiful jetties. Louisiana side. Don't forget to buy a Louisiana license as well. If you're going to fish over there. Uh, it has the jetties. You can go offshore. It has short rigs that I could get out to. I think they were seven and nine miles away uh, on a good day in the summertime. I can go fish a short rig, uh, in my bay boat. It has obviously the pass. It has marshes. It has back lakes. It has two rivers running into it. Uh, the Netches and the Sabine. And it has the intercoastal canal running the whole side of Sabine Lake. It truly has it all, water movement, depth. It goes up to eight, nine feet deep in the middle. It has shallow waters. It has the grass. I mean, for me, it was it was heaven on earth until you get the fresh water. Because when it goes fresh, the whole bay is fresh. It comes down both those rivers. It muddies it up. And then the other thing about it, uh, we've also often talked about how I, I try tend to be the safer of the, of the three of us. Uh, that's just, you know, I'm not Caleb by any stretch. Uh, Scott has been in a, a bunch of muck uh, because of tournaments and such, but he's a pretty safe guy on the water. And me in Sabine Lake, you're going to get the biggest waves you'll ever navigate because it's it's such a big way, uh, a lake. It's, I think, from the northern tip to the southern tip. I measured it once. I believe it was 16 miles, and it's probably at least that far wide, and it's a big almost of a circle. So when the water, that north wind or whatever wind starts really howling, I mean, I've been in three, four foot waves easily. So Sabine Lake is one of those that you have to learn in little pieces, but it has it all. What's been your experience there, Scott? Uh, most of mine was fishing redfish tournaments while I was in the Redfish Cup, and we we hit those marshes hard, uh, both sides. Uh, going up the intercoastal there, 
back towards Bolivar and getting up inside there over on the Louisiana side. You know, you just had to watch out for the otters, but uh, you get back into those some of those little lakes, and uh, there's more grass in those lakes over there. That He's really trying cool. his best. Cool. I mean, there's some there's some cool stuff back there. Uh, Caleb spent a whole lot of time in there recently. Uh, it's been a few years since I was over there, but uh, some of those lakes on that side would get so wadded up with grass you couldn't hardly get through them. Uh, trolling motor would just wad up and stop. And I had some really good times in there uh, fighting alligators. Oh <laughs> you know, yeah, I didn't lots, mention that. Lots and lots of alligators over there. Uh, they probably take care of the otters, but uh, <laughs> the most of the fun that I had over there was fishing so some of the from our listeners this <laughs> Some of those lakes on the Texas side. Uh, there was one that we had to kind of work, wiggle our way under a bridge and around the corner. I forgot what that lake's called, uh, but we had some real good days in there. Uh, it's just like you said, it, it's got everything. I didn't do a whole lot of trout fishing over there because honestly, I was fishing Galveston more, and it was kind of the same thing as fishing Galveston to me. You know, the deeper water, you know, fishing East Bay and Trinity is a whole lot like fishing Sabine to me. And the freshwater aspect kind of turned me off of it a little bit too. You know, it seemed like every time I really wanted to go over there and, and learn it and fish it, we'd have it's one of these It's infuriating big because it lasts so long. And it would it'd go on forever. Yeah. And uh, so I'd, I spent more time in Galveston because it was closer to my house. But uh, I could see the, the allure to to learning it and going and fishing all those back lakes. It's a kayaker's dream. I know a bunch of kayakers that fish all the, all that yes. backwater over there. Yes. Uh, uh, I think you were talking about either Johnson Bayou, which which you can put in on windy days, uh, all the way up Johnson Bayou and and get right into the, you know, right into the bay that way. Uh oh, very versatile, like, but man, when it, or maybe you were talking on the north end. No, um, it's on the south end off the intercoastal uh, Keith Lake. Oh, Keith, oh, Keith Lake is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, right, we, very, very we shallow. A lot of time there. Yeah. Very yeah. shallow. Me and you don't have enough kayaks to know, to know a whole lot about Keith Lake, Don. Huh? Is it, is Keith Lake, that's, that kayakers know about it. Me and you just heard of it. Uh, I've been <laughs> in Keith you, Lake you got, in my you, old you, boat. Trust me. Um, hey. it's, uh, it, it, you got to know where to navigate, but that's why I was learning so much. Uh, Stutes Island on the north end is, uh, boy, people are going to be mad at me just for, you know, talking about spots here. And, uh, Sydney Island on the north end, those are good trout spots because it comes right off the, the intercoastal and the Natchez River. That's where a lot of people, um, you know, get, uh, I mean, a lot of trout, you know, get in and out of there. Caleb, you, as a red fisherman, I know you love Sabine Lake, uh, even if you haven't maybe learned it, you know, as, as, as much as, as some people, because if if you want to catch a redfish, you can almost on good days you can just almost throw anywhere and catch a redfish. I love Sabine Lake. Uh, we we won the Port Arthur PRL there this year, and then last year Daniel lost a fish. Dang it, Daniel! That uh we would have we would have won it that year too. Ended up second that year. Uh, but Sabine Lake, uh, I'm a marsh nerd, so that's that's kind of where my playground starts is yeah. Sabine. Uh, you know, I, I get way off into Black Marsh, that Johnson Bayou. By the way, uh, for those listening to the show and getting excited about things, <laughs> there's a cut over there at Johnson Bayou that's got a bunch of poles on it. And one of those poles has a bolt sticking out the top of it that will completely stop a transport, but it takes about a foot of fiberglass to stop it. Uh, so <laughs> How do we know aware, this? <laughs> yeah, be aware of that. Uh, it, it was stuck so bad you couldn't pull it off with a rope. 
It was. <laughs> uh, yeah, Johnson's Johnson, a little bit tricky, guys. You know, Sabine is a, when you know we were talking about the freshwater with rollover. Sabine's one of those places that yeah, it can get wiped out by that freshwater. But that freshwater is kind of what starts driving those marshes over there. Um, it, you know, your your redfish have more of the juvenile bait fish to eat, so they're bigger and they're heavier. You you can sight cast largemouth bass and redfish in the same spot. Yes, there. It, up in uh, Blacks, I think it's called Black yeah. Bayou yep. up on the, on the northern end, and then there's Black Lake uh, to the right. Um, and man, I'm getting excited. I'm going to pull my boat back to Sabine and, and hit it again. But uh, then there's another area up there on the northeast end called Coffee Ground Cove. Um, that actually, I believe, guys, when I was talking about uh, seeing those elk the other day, I think that's where they were coming out of because that's all marsh back up there. That's the other thing. It's all wildlife protected uh, up there uh, near greens and blacks. And uh, and so that's uh, it's a pretty special place, and it can be a pretty infuriating place when you go, you know, let's say you can go three, four weeks in a row, and it's just fresh water you know, up and down that whole, that whole bay. So, you know, you know, I hope we answered his question. I gave him a couple of spots that, uh, that I found a lot of success. I think you can, you can navigate it even in a smaller boat. Uh, if you put in, 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 uh, in Johnson Bayou, you can get through there. It runs and pretty much any boat can go through there. You can go up in blacks. You can go up by the Natchez river. I forget the name of that launch up there. Um, and, and you can, you can, Kind of like Scott has always said, just get a little chunk of it and learn that whole area. And by the way, one other thing, if you're an offshore fisherman, big time offshore fishing right there and, and pretty close. Like I said, I've been up to the, one of the, one of the, we call them, you know, um, the short rigs It's only nine miles off the jetties. And, and that can be a lot of fun. I mean, uh, up there, I don't know if you guys have any other thoughts on that, but, uh, but Caleb, go ahead. The one thing about, Trout fishing in Sabine Lake. Sabine Lake is very similar to where I'm at in Matagorda. There's not really grass. You've got mud and you've got some shell and you've got some drains. So it's definitely, if, if you're out there looking for trout, you really need to keep your eye peeled, peeled for bait and birds and all that kind of whatnot because Sabine doesn't really have, and this is just from my experience, and I was just talking to somebody at the boat show about Sabine, and they don't have a whole lot of stuff that really just holds them for you as much as they're those fish are moving around and just responding to the conditions and where the bait is and whatnot. So that, that would be my, my small piece of input on trout fishing over there. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that ties directly in because I was actually thinking about Sabine uh, when uh, this question from Florida, uh, shout out to our listeners in Florida, uh, came up. Um, you know what? I got my boat right now, getting the, the 20-hour check over at the boat yard. I might just have to just drag that sucker. To, to Sabine and, and visit some of my old haunts. Um, uh, they, they're, they're getting all that stuff done over at the boat yard, Jake and all those guys. So, but you brought that up uh, because one of the questions we had was about deep water trout. And I'm going to start with, uh, with uh, Scott here because the question was about, um, well, here it is. Uh, guys, I'm here in the Florida panhandle. The trout concentrate in deep spots during a cold snap. Does that happen in Texas too? And if so, what kind of lures or soft plastics do you like to use when the fish are in deeper water? Now, he said 15 to 20 feet of water. We don't normally get that much, Scott, but I actually thought of Sabine because I just mentioned Sabine can get eight, nine feet deep in the water. And trout do, it is a different approach for me anyway, but I wanted to ask you guys. But, Scott, I'll start with you. You've been to Florida a lot. 
deeper trout? Is, is what is the difference in terms of strategy and approach? Heavier jig heads. You know, you're still going to be trying to match the bait. You're still everything's the same. It's just deeper. So go with a heavier sinking lure, and the fastest way to get a lure down is lead. Uh, so I I would look at you know quarter three eight ounce jig heads, mm-hmm. and work them down much deeper. Uh, there's some places that I've fished that that are like that. There was one in the back end of Greens. It was is a huge deep uh, cut that went through there, and in the winter time, tides would fall out, and we we'd get good and cold behind a norther, and we could go fish right up against. It sounds weird, fish against the bank, but it's a drop off. It's a straight you know, like a, a rock face, you know, it's all uh, mud and clay. And we would throw up there and bounce that jig head down the side of that clay. And then you could kind of kind of count it down as you go because they're not always going to be on the bottom necessarily. They're going to hold at some particular depth wherever the, it's the most comfortable and wherever there's food. And so we would throw up there. And it kind of depended on the current too. That place, it would get some pretty swift current uh on on moving tides and so we would throw those jigs up there and if the jig's getting swept too much bounce it up to the next heavier jig head uh, i fished with uh, brian Barrera down there in south padre last year and we were throwing half ounce and three quarter ounce jig heads in some of the uh, deeper water over there during the winter uh, you can't really go too heavy uh, you're generally not going to have a whole lot to hang up on in a place like that it's a you know, it's a washed out bottom. Yeah. And so you can, you can get it down there and when you bring it back, it's got mud on the jig head sometimes. And mm-hmm. you know, you've, you know, you've reached bottom. But, uh, the biggest thing that I would say would be to count it down, whatever size jig head you're using and know when you're getting that bite and then try to repeat it. What about, um, before I go, go to Caleb, uh, because you have fish there so much. We're always talking about structure and reef, and I know that's the case up and down the coast, anybody listening to us. But in deeper areas like that, Scott, is there, is it, is it just mud? Is it structure? Uh, you know, what are you looking at in terms of trying to find the fish in deeper water? I've, I've always found that it's around corners. You know, any place that the tide is, has got a change to it. Kind of like we fish the jetties, you mm-hmm. know, around wherever the tide's getting broken up just a little bit. And so you fish the points, uh, you know, if you're fishing a winding bayou that's deep, get on that, get on that inside corner and fish behind the protection. You know, whichever, if the tide's moving left or right, then get on that right side and throw into the, that little eddy back there behind that. Uh, if you know that there's some structure there, if you can use your side scan or, uh, you can possibly find a hump in the, in the middle of that dike, you know, deeper water. Uh, anything that can break up the current just a little bit is where the fish are generally going to hold. Uh, Caleb, I know you fish a lot of deep water. Normally we're skinny water guys, but uh, when you're in a tournament or when you're uh, just uh, hunting and gathering, trying to find trout, uh, anything different, any other thoughts to add to what Scott said there? I fish deep water a whole lot. I, I, Guiding-wise, I make my living in deep water most of the winter, and Scott pretty well hit just one one point. After another, I didn't say otter. I said another. <laughs> I've, uh, y'all should see John rubbing the side of his head when we get going yes. with this. Uh, probably the only thing that I have to add that may provide some value here that Scott hadn't already hit is whether it be Galveston, Matagorda, uh, Louisiana, 
I've done really well in, in the deeper water and with um, something that's chartreuse, the real bright but, but translucent chartreuse with silver flash in it. I've, that's always been a color that's done well for me in deep water, whether it's deep reefs in a bay or edges of a river or a canal or something like that. That's always been something good. So I'm glad I could help you in one way because Scott hit the other 27. <laughs> I knew he would be good on this. Um, you know, before before we get to the next topic, which is knowing your pelicans and sight casting, uh, both you guys are, are going to be great on this. Um, you know, I do want to mention, I, I talked about the boat yard, and of course, they have. A, by the way, they have a brand new Freedom Warrior out there. Those are hard to find. It may be sold already because they sell real quick, uh, th- thankfully, I know that. Um, but they have a brand new Warrior out there. It's not the raised console, it's a flat console, it's gray on gray, and it's Freaking gorgeous! Uh, I saw it when I was getting my boat in there. Uh, but I was texting with uh, with Chet, our friend over at Freedom Boats, uh, about uh, how neat that boat looked. And he said they're now in two Ron Hoover locations, not just the one. Um, they're down in the Valley and Corpus Christi, uh, which is where they uh, uh, now they're expanding. He's done such a great, great job uh, for sure. Um, all right, so. Um, Let's start with knowing your pelicans. A lot of times we have questions about birds, Scott, uh, but you, I, I'm not going to pretend that uh, that I didn't that I did know this because I didn't. You said something about white pelicans that, frankly, as much as I've been on the water, as much as I've been around pelicans, never really occurred to me. Uh, one of our listeners posted a, a big group of uh, pelicans on the water. It looked like they were kind of hurting something, which we've talked about on this podcast. But but you said they wouldn't dive, and I was like, I never noticed that. But so explain that. Uh, white pelicans don't dive at all. They when they're feeding, they get up in shallow water. They put their net down, that big old gullet on the bottom of their bill, mm-hmm. and they they sing. Basically, it's like they're getting a line, and you'll see them when you just see them in a big hump. You know, they're just all grouped up. They're just kind of resting. But then you'll see them getting a line, and they'll kind of force their way across just like a net and if you were saying in a, a pond mm-hmm. and they'll just start forcing things in one direction and then you'll see them kind of circle around a little bit and it gets pretty crazy inside that circle i've, I've seen all kind of bait fish jumping and going crazy in there and i've never really fished around them because like it's shallow water and they're they're hurting the bait and i think bait you know bait fish can be herded like that but i think redfish are just going to get the hell out of the way uh, I would imagine that that you know that stirring up the bottom, they may hang around the outside edges in that muddy water where the you know as they're pedaling along there, they're going to stir some stuff up. They might try to feed behind the line, mm-hmm. but they're definitely not going to get it out in front of it. Uh, the ones that dive are the brown ones. That's the ones you see all out in the bay, flying up. They may fly up three feet and dive back down, or they may fly up and circle around, you know, forty, fifty feet up and just go crashing in. I don't know how they don't break their necks the way that they hit. Uh, it just looks so haphazard. But the, uh, the white ones, I just, I pretty much ignore them. Don't even really pay much attention to them. Uh, brown ones, they're diving on bait and there, there's something going on. There's something pushing the bait. They're generally in a little deeper water and something is pushing that bait up to the top. So I, I fish around them some, but yeah, the white ones, they're typically way back into the marshes and it's only in the winter time. Uh, in the summer, they spend all their time up on the lakes, on freshwater lakes all over the country. Right. And then winter, they they spend their time down here. 
and you'll see them. They hang out in big, huge flocks and just kind of float around. Caleb, how much stock do you put in pelicans? Scott and I have had this conversation. I think I put a little more stock in them if I see them acting the right way, and it's kind of hard to explain. Scott did a good job of it right there. When they're just sort of like scooting and hopping, I've caught trout uh, under pelicans uh, on a, on a number of occasions. I think he's right about redfish. Uh, they'll, they'll spook them. But what's your what's your you know thought process, strategy, whatever you want to call it when you see pelicans? I'm not I'm not real big into them. Um, I definitely I'm not much on fishing under them at all. I if if they're you know say they're 50 or 60 yards out in front of a drain and they're bombing around out there, then I might go between them and that drain and fish that area because. Because then in my mind, there's bait coming out of that drain, you know, pairing it up with an outgoing tide. Mm-hmm. But there's bait coming out of that, and so those pelicans are hanging out there. And so I'll watch them first, though. Like you said, when they're hopping and crashing, yeah, um, if they crash and then get up and just keep on flying, then I don't really mess with it. But uh, uh, 20%, that's my number on pelicans. I that's give them probably 20%, about right. 20%. Uh, but, and it was usually when I was fishing, when you talked about the white pelicans, because uh, – I. It really just occurred to me. I really never fish white pelicans that much. And it's probably because of what you said. I, I've never really had a lot of success. The brown pelicans are different, but I had no idea. I'm just being honest here because we, we try to tell you exactly what we know and don't know. And I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. You'll never see a white pelican dive. They, they just don't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I fish the pelicans, it's generally the jetties, beachfront, you know, that kind of stuff. And they are doing that fly up two or three feet and then fall back in the water. Yeah, you know, that's when they're really active and there, there's a bunch of them and they're, they're, the bait's being pushed to the top by typically bull reds, uh, jacks will do it a lot. Uh, kingfish do it some, uh, and it's, it's deeper water stuff. Back in the bays, trout fishing, I'm not really going to pay much attention to them. Right. Typically what they're doing back there is they're, that's when they're flying real high in the bays and they'll, yeah, they, they're just picking out a mullet that's, uh, you know, that's slacking on the top and mm-hmm. diving on that. Uh, but the real active stuff is, is more jetties. Uh, I had a situation two years ago where we were, we were working up and down the jetties, you know, looking for tarpon and all of a sudden there was, I don't know, probably 30 or 40 pelicans coming our way and they were in a line and they were flying up two to three feet and falling right back in the water with their mouth open. And as they came our way, we just hammered trout. I mean, you got a bunch of trout. Yeah, I've caught more trout uh, than was, anything with the pelicans. Yeah, it was like they were following along behind the bait fish and just, you know, doing a really good job of picking off bait fish. But the uh, trout were down there pushing the bait to the top. Well, that's pretty. What nasty. those white ones are good for is running across a quiet marsh and scaring every single floating redfish to death. That's what the white ones are really good for. <laughs> I'll tell you what happens in the springtime that used to drive me insane on the North shoreline of West Bay, all that grass that's up there. I would have tailing redfish just really going off. And there was a, a rookery over there, Bird Island over towards the causeway. And there was a bunch of baby pelicans would be born on that thing. Mm-hmm. And those baby pelicans did not know the difference between tailing redfish and a bunch of bait fish. All they <laughs> saw was a bunch of movement on top. <laughs> and I would see them coming, and I'd be waving my arms at them like, no, 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 as I'm Don't trying do to it. pull over. 
there's a bunch of tailing fish. I'm pulling like a madman trying to get to them. And here come these baby pelicans and they're just stupid. <laughs> and they're they don't know it's a foot and a half of water and there's tailing redfish and they would spook every redfish off the flat. It would drive uh, and, and they're trying to pick up a, a, a fish that's 10 times their size. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, never saw one actually catch one, but yeah, they would I guess really not. screw up my fishing. Yeah. What I've seen, what I've seen twice that really made my day is, you know, the pelicans, they'll, they'll start up high and they'll come down like six inches off the water and just cruise right over the top. Oh yeah. It's really cool. Twice, twice I've seen one make the mistake of looking down while he was doing that and his beak went in the water <laughs> and chili flipped him and <laughs> day made. The thing I like is when I'm uh, cruising across a, a lake or a bay or whatever and I'm going a good, you know, let's say I usually cruise between 30 and 35 miles an hour. And so let's say I'm going 30. And there's a pelican just keeping up with you. You never realize how fast these suckers are until you're, you look at your speedometer and you're going 30 miles an hour. And there's a pelican just like, Hey, what's up, dude? Like he's just yeah, passing right. you on the highway. Yeah. Those low flyers, you got to watch out for them. I almost took my tournament partner out with one. Uh, <laughs> we were down in Corpus and we were flying, man. We were going to a fishing spot. It was, it was takeoff in the morning and we were hooking them. And all of a sudden this pelican is just doing that lazy flying low across the water. And we're on a collision course, and I'm hollering at Benny. It was old Benny Landrum. I said, Benny, duck, duck, duck. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a duck. It was a pelican. But <laughs> he got down just in time, man. It was right over his head. That is hilarious. Um, all right. So uh, we're going to talk now about uh, improving your sidecasting success because uh, it was uh, a good question for uh, from the podcast. And uh, the interesting thing, though, is it reminded me, uh, I got I to gotta brag about this a little bit because we like to talk about our podcast. We're glad that so many of our, our friends and listeners are on this, but we've all t- turned on the Outdoor Channel. So I was chatting with our guy, Michael Krolik from uh, uh, Knock and Tail at, at the boat show, which we, we had a good time, us three. We might, we might dig into that a little bit here in a little bit uh, anyway. But Knock and Tail Lures is going to be featured in two episodes of Mark Davis's Big Water Adventures. Uh, that's a very popular show. Um, and so I was, I was really happy for him. Uh, Mark, uh, featured the, his lure on that, on that, uh, show. And I think the first episode is going to be, uh, tonight and then in another one in, in a week or so. Uh, but, uh, if, if I have that wrong, um, be sure to check it out. You can see what the knock and tail does that, that I always brag about. And, uh, one thing we have uh, that Mark Davis doesn't have, we got the, the knock and tail bite me 20 uh, promo code. So you type in bite me 20, the numbers two zero, um, uh, on the website, mycoastoutdoors.com and you get 20% off, but that's pretty cool. I was happy for him. He busts his butt. Those guys at the boat show, man, those are long hours. It got a little more expensive this year, but I get it. Um, and we had a good time. Uh, we were over at the, the, the FTU booth and Caleb was working his magic and we were talking to a bunch of our listeners. Yeah, the ones that didn't fall asleep while we were talking to them, <laughs> Elliot. <laughs> this girl walked up to us and was like, hey, I'm Amanda, and I really like to fish. It. Elliot doesn't listen to your show because it makes him go to sleep. What's the problem, Elliot? <laughs> Thank you, Elliot. Yeah. I'm not going to call Elliot. Elliot what I call the other guy. I'll let you do yeah. that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're going to sick an otter on you, man. That's That's what what we're yeah, it, there's... There, there's but well, she and not. her and their buddy, she and their their other buddy was were all about it, and so we we might have to take her fishing. I told her I might take her fishing at some point. We've got the old open boat, so uh, maybe we can do that. Uh, but it was a good time, uh, a lot of fun, a little different with the with the 
uh, auto show there as well. Uh, but everybody was there. Uh, Wade Wright, I was talking about uh, the Wade Wright belts uh, with them as well. Um, getting a lot of questions on that. And they always ask the same question. So if I'm a Bite Me listener, what's that promo code? Hey, if you're a Bite Me listener or not a Bite Me listener, you can go to CoastalFishingGear.com. I know Jason was down in Florida taking a little vacation, but uh, uh, Tim is out here working like crazy. Um, I still owe them some of my OG sauce, but uh, you can use that Bite Me 20, Bite Me 2-0 at CoastalFishingGear.com. And it is it is time. If you're interested, uh, a lot of places are, are running low on some gear. Uh, Wade Wright will take care of you at CoastalFishingGear.com. You can watch the instructional video on how to use the big the big belt, which is cool. And I would highly recommend watching the instructional video. I like uh, the Madre Sling as well. But uh, don't forget to ask for the Bite Me Special and the Bite Me 20 promo code. All right, sight fishing. Uh, sight fishing. I love this question. Obsessed. Huh? What do you love say? This question. I absolutely love this question. You do? Good. Yes. I'm glad because I'm going to start with you on this. Um, I think I know where your mind is going to go on part of this question <laughs> because you mentioned kids uh, and helping them catch uh, sight casting. All right, so here it is. We take a lot of guys and kids uh, that are new to sight casting and put them on reds only to see a lot of missed opportunities and few fish. How can we help increase our success? So, Scott, tell us what you love about the question and what you can do to help our guy. Welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> not, I mean, not there. There. <laughs> not there. No. No, they eat from the other end. How do you even think that's a fish? The there's seven teams. Their backs out of the water, straight in front of you. What? What are you? What is that? Dude's casting out an otter over there or something because there's not a redfish there. God, this is a romp. You're, you're just dominating. <laughs> yeah, otter discussion. It is. Uh, yeah, I mean it. It's every day. You know, I mean it's it's a constant struggle that Caleb and I both have because we're both sight casting guides. I mean that's what we do. I pull a sight casting that you know pulling skiff that's what we do man I'm, I'm out there looking for redfish the only thing that i can tell you if you got somebody on the front that's not very experienced and is not doing well with hitting the fish that make sure they're seeing them number one that's what i was gonna say i can't Go ahead. tell you how many times i have had a guy where i've gone okay there's a redfish up there you see him yep i got him and they cast exactly opposite of where that damn fish is they didn't see it they they have no idea where that fish is, but they don't want to admit that. Mm-hmm. So get them to admit whether or not they're seeing fish, number one. Number two, if they're still not making that cast, have them practice cast the rest of the time. You're not always seeing fish. That's what we're doing. We're, we're stalking. We're hunting. We're looking for fish. Have them cast to that bubble over there. Have them cast to that little piece of grass over there. Make them cast all day long. Instead of standing up there waiting on the next opportunity, mm-hmm. have them keep casting, whether it's fly or bait casting. He or said he was using whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, but it, it works the same in any direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, have them cast at something. Because typically what happens with saltwater fishermen in general, I mean, I've taken some guys who are really experienced saltwater fishermen, but they're used to going out, they wade, and they they cast as far as they can cast. They cast in a general direction. They're trying to hit a spot that's 10 foot by 10 foot. Well, now we're trying to ask them to hit a spot that's six inches by six inches Mm -hmm. and they can't do it. Uh, So have them practice. And that's the only way you get any better at it. And that way 
when that opportunity does present itself, they're not just in total vapor lock. Uh, I see that a lot, man. Guys, they finally do spot that fish, and then they just go, uh, yeah. and they just freeze up, and they don't make the cast, or they, they really blow the cast. Uh, but by practicing continuously throughout the day, then they're prepared, they're ready, they're warmed up, and when when the opportunity presents itself, they can put the lure where it needs to be. Caleb, that, that practicing thing is so important. Um, you guys sightcast more than I do, but uh, hitting that small spot and hitting it, as he's put it, a 10 by 10 area is, is a whole different world. But I wanted to ask you, unless you have some thoughts on that, but I wanted to ask you about actually seeing sometimes, I mean, your mind works tricks. Uh, sometimes it's like when you're in a deer blind and, and, and it's just the sun's just coming up and you think you see something, but you don't. You know, what, what, let's explain. Let's let's go down to the basics here. What do you actually, outside of a tail or a back sticking out of the water, what do you actually see? Hey, well, I'd like to back up a little bit to where Scott was at, and then we can go with that. Because there's a couple, there's a couple of key things here that I think could help with the success of a of a you know a newbie or whatever it is. And number one, I always put a heavy jig head on them, a quarter ounce, something like that, something they can really feel. Number two, whenever I'm calling and I say cast at 20 yards and they cast 35, we're talking about that right now. You know, mm-hmm. okay, that's not this is. But what I really do for people that are wanting to sight cast, but they're not hitting their shots, is say I see a redfish noon straight off the front of my boat, 12 o'clock, right? And he's moving right to left. I will tell them cast 30 yards at 1030, knowing dang well they're going to be way ahead of that fish but I know where their lure is at. I know where that fish is at. And now I'm telling them, bring it, bring it, bring it, bring it. Stop it. Let it fall. Let it fall. Let it. And you got him. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm watching the fish and the lure to help that guy get it in front of that fish instead of expecting them to drop it in that six inches. And because it took me a long time to get to where I can see redfish like I can now. It took me a long time to be able that, to hit that, my That's cast. what I'm saying. It, it, it's and, difficult. And yeah. until until you have done it enough that you don't have to think about it to make that cast. It's, there's going to be struggles in it. I still miss them every now and again, not as often as I used to. As far as seeing fish, I know Scott said this many a time, and I, I say this almost daily on my boat. Everybody sees something different. I What I see is I see their fins moving. I see the, the back and forth of their fins. I see their little their little dorsal fins, and or not dorsal fins, their pectoral fins, and yeah. their tail. And if they're three foot deep or on the top, that's just what I see. I see that coming. Scott says he sees their shadow. I don't know. I, I still have not seen a redfish shadow in my life. I have no idea what he's talking about. It's right up there with barometer. It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> um, wait, wakes and wakes and pushes. You you learn the difference between a redfish and a mullet pretty quickly. That mullet's going to be kind of zigzaggy around, and the redfish is going to be more of a straight line. But what I see is the fin movement. That um, and a good pair of sunglasses. Scott and I both uh, prescribe into Costa's heavily and no pun intended um and if, if you're not wearing the right stuff you're gonna have a hard time seeing them right away and they and they change from day to day or base system to base system sometimes they're real dark sometimes they're real light sometimes they're this sometimes they're that so the first couple you see of the day you got to kind of take note of this is what they look like and this is what i what i how i picked them out and scott the shadow is always dark the shadow is always dark yeah I, that that's i wanted you to elaborate on that because the way i would describe it on uh on seeing a redfish, whenever you absolutely you actually see a redfish, and I've said it on the on this on the on the show a lot. If you think you saw something moving, it probably was a fish moving, and it's a lot easier when you're on a shoreline, you're on a uh, you know on some grass or whatever, 
and you're looking and you're looking and you just see the little movement. Maybe that's the shadow you're talking about. What are you looking at? What are you seeing? And what can you tell people? It's typically on more open flats. Uh, where I'm fishing, it's, you know, it's typically really, really shallow. And I just see a dark movement, you know, just something that's, yeah, it's, it's moving. It, that's you more see of all kind of shadows. Yeah, you see all kind of shadows and you see all kind of different flashes and light and dark. When you see that shadow and it's not sitting still, it's a fish. And yeah. if it's making a shadow, it's a big fish. So that's, that's a whole lot of what I'm looking for is just something that's anything that looks different. And I tell people all the time when they're on the boat, it costs nothing to cast. So if you're standing up there on the bow, I don't see every fish. I mean, I see most of them, and I see them a whole lot better than most people that are standing on the front. Mm-hmm. But they also see fish that I I missed. I may be looking off to the left. I, you know, I saw something move over there, so I'm really studying the bottom, trying to pick, pick a fish out. And they're kind of glancing over to the right, and they now I think I saw a fish over there. Well, why didn't you cast? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I always say, if you think you saw it, go you saw ahead. It. Yeah, yeah, give it give it a shot. You know, I mean, if there wasn't a fish there, so what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't any big deal. But what Caleb said about casting past them and reeling up to them, that's the fun part of being on a polling platform and pulling back in the marshes is directing that activity. And I can't tell you how many people have been on the front of the boat where I've said, okay, you know, it's in fly fishing, you're stripping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'll strip it, strip it, strip it, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit. Okay, stop. He got it. <laughs> and I can see the, I'll see the gills flare. Yeah. I mean, I see the you white mouth. sucking it. I see the gills flare. I see him suck it in. I tell him he got it. And then they, you know, set the hook. And they do. And immediately they turn around, look over their shoulder at How'd you, you like do that? some kind of damn magician. <laughs> that's yeah. It is, that's the coolest thing about my job. The yeah. absolute coolest part of it. There's, there's, there's so many things in fishing that, that I just get just, it's just repetitive, but going and doing that is I'm excited when we leave the dock. I'm excited when we get back. I almost feel bad I got paid to do it. And, you know, like Scott said, whenever you tell them, hey, stop it and let it fall, and then one, two, or I'll do stuff where I've got them coming, right? And I'll say, all right, stop it right there, just short hop, short hop, short hop. And I'll say, count to four. And they'll kind of, huh? and they'll sit there, and at four, I go, you got him. And they'll set the hook, and they think that I have just <laughs> David Copperfield in them. But it, 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 and, you know, we're just like, you know, people having good days hitting their cast. Me and Scott are the same way. I'll call Scott sometimes and be like, man, I was on point with the calls today. I was telling this guy 45 yards and drop it and, you know, all this, all the things that we say every day, all day. There's days when we're just better at it than other days. And in the days that we're not good at it, it's just because our customers didn't cast good. Right, Scott? Of course it was. That's it. It was the customer. <laughs> it's never my fault. Yeah. No, no. How yeah. could, <laughs> hey, but back to, back to the free cast thing, Scott, how many times you hear, hear this? Was that one? Well, oh, I don't yeah. know, dude. I wasn't looking over there. <laughs> <laughs> was, was that a fish? Yeah, hey, maybe. But I mean, you do get the guys that that can't tell the mullet from the redfish. Though I mean, that happens a lot, and it's understandable. I mean, you're not out there every day. You're not watching every day, and so I'll, I'll start talking to them about it. You know, hey, you know, a mullet is zigzag, and a redfish is just a calm, cool movement. It has purpose. So basically, a mullet is Dean. And I'm a redfish. <laughs> That's the way it works. Yeah. So <laughs> now I did have a thought because we're talking about guiding and stuff. 
I did have a thought that could make somebody's day really tough if they're trying, especially if they're trying to learn how to sight cast. Mm-hmm. If you're out fishing with three more of your buddies, all three of you do not need to be on the front of that boat casting at that fish. Yes. Because I, 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 I get this all the time. Hey, K- Captain Caleb, we want to go sight casting, and there's four of us. Uh, all right. First off, no. <laughs> and then and then I got to think about it. I'm like, dang it, I still got to pay for food and electricity and shelter. So I'm like, all right, y'all come on. And I'll get them in the boat. And if they're listening, they know who I'm talking about right now. I'll get them in the boat, and I'm like, all right, guys, this is the fifth time you fish with me. Every time y'all come, y'all bring four people. And every time we do this, I'll let two of y'all fish the front, and two of y'all just sit back there and eat your sandwiches, and y'all take turns. There's going to be plenty of fish today. Oh, yes, sir, we got it, we got it, we got it. And so the first two guys go up there, and they catch some fish. The second two guys go up there, they catch some fish. And now everybody's excited, and every time I say fish, all four of them bounce off of each other. Grab their this, this fish is getting pelleted with baits. Uh, one guy has wrapped his line around the guy to the left, and the guy on the far left is wrapped around the guy to the right, and the guy in the middle is fighting one with rods hitting him in the eyebrows. So, it re- honestly, if you're trying to get into this, uh, take take turns up on the front. Um, don't. It, it's fun to be out there with your buddies and bite them. Y'all take turns because you are making it astronomically harder on yourself to not be up there by yourself practicing your shots. All right. That's, that's why, why I like a Poland skiff. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, that's what I love about having a pole. You can't put more than two. I'll, yeah, I'll have, I'll let two up there. You know, if we're throwing conventional, if it's fly, it's only one. Yeah. I mean, you, you want to talk about having a mess. Try to get two fly fishermen. <laughs> Line everywhere. Time. Yeah, it, it gets dangerous and real quick. I'll do it where I, if I've got a bunch of fish and I'll, I'll tell, tell the second guy, get your rod ready. And as soon as the first guy hooks up, you step to the back, now you go up there in the front. Yeah. And we'll double up like that quite a bit. But uh, typically fly fishing, it's one guy up front and the other guy's kicking back. Bring some beer, yeah. bring some summer sausage, some cheese, you know, kick back, have a good time, watch your buddy catch fish. That's yeah. what it's all about anyway. It's about being out there with your buddy. Yeah, and being out in the, in the back lakes and in the grass and stuff. All right, boys, what would Scott do? What would Caleb do? How do you all feel about, Caleb, I'm going to start with you. A low of 30 Friday, a high of 40, and a 25-mile-an-hour northwest wind. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm getting tired of saying I don't want to fish on Saturday. Let's start <laughs> well, talking about Friday. Saturday. Saturday is slightly better, at least where, where we fish. Low of 32, high of 47, and a 12-mile-an-hour northwest wind, at least what I'm looking at. Yeah. Um, hmm. Well, uh, now the tides are going to be, you know, super dumped again on Saturday. The the, the sun's going to be out. Um, I, you ought to be able to find some clean water somewhere. Uh, it looks like a day to go employ all the stuff that we talked about side casting, except, uh, you know, be careful where you're going because it's going to be a lot, a lot shallower than, uh, anywhere or what you're used to. How about that? A lot it might be a good day than... to take Monday off if you got a day in your back pocket, high of 58, yeah. low of 40, light winds. Um, and, and it'll give you some time for that, that Tuesday looks. Back. Yeah, Monday looks okay. Tuesday looks like a pretty phenomenal sight casting day. I'm guiding a lot next week, and so I'm kind of excited about what I'm seeing there. Um, but yeah, Saturday, it's it's going to be shallow water. It's going to be clear skies. I think it. I think it could be a tough bite. This Saturday was really weird, Scott. They, oh my god! You talk to one guy and he absolutely murdered him. You talk to another guy, he didn't catch anything. And then you go look at social media and people are being attacked by river otters. There's really you never really knew which way it was going to go this weekend. You yeah, won, I mean, okay? You, you won. Sometimes you had to run and hide. It's over. <laughs> you won. Let's <laughs> get to the otter guy. Uh, that would be uh, Scott Nall. 
my God, Thursday. Uh, that thing's blowing in here on Thursday. Yeah, down is. here where It'll I'm be at. wet too. Uh, 28 gusts into 35 and raining. Yeah. I can tell you where I'm not going to be. <laughs> not going to be in a boat. Yeah. Uh, then Friday, the same. It's all northwest. So water is going to blow out and it's going to disappear and it's going to get low. Uh, it's going to get cold. It's going to get low. Saturday, I, I would think they're going to feed when it's falling like that just because that's what they do. Saturday, they're going to sit. And then Saturday afternoon into Sunday, you got sunshine, light winds, temperature coming up a little bit. I think maybe, maybe if you really wanted to go this weekend and you, you know, you got your kitchen pass and you got everything set up Saturday afternoon, maybe, uh, go to some places where you, where you know it's deep, mm-hmm. you know, some deeper water, uh, get your, uh, sea tow paid up, your <laughs> tow boat USA. Make sure you're paid up because you're going to get stuck somewhere. Um, and those, those guys made a killing on that tournament down here last weekend. Uh, oh, I they bet. Were pulling people off left and right. Uh, then it, it's going to switch more northeast and pick up just a little bit on Sunday, but it's still, still sunny and warming up a little bit. So, I, yeah, I mean, if you, if you got to get out, I'd say fish in the afternoons, let it warm up a little bit, uh, skip the morning. Uh, there's no sense in getting out there real early. It's just not going to work out well for you. Uh, but personally, what would Scott do? Yeah. Yeah, Scott's going to fix a big bowl of chili mm-hmm. and sit down and uh, watch a little watch a little TV, maybe pick put, pick a good movie or something. Darn <laughs> right. going to be well, stuck John, up in Dallas. John's picking up his I'm boat I'm going to be here by Friday. myself. Yeah, I'm picking up my boat Friday, and uh, I might have to get out there on Sunday if I get the itch. But uh, uh, Captain Caleb TV has been blowing and going again, Caleb. It's going good. It's going. Hey, I just texted my customer on Tuesday and moved him to Wednesday next week. If there you go. Off work Wednesday. That's 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 what it looks like. Yeah, Captain Caleb TV is going quick. It's every time I look, there's forty or fifty more people that are gluttons for punishment, and I'm happy to have you here. Yeah, man. And uh, ScottNoelPhotography.com. Um, so you can get some of that, uh, that, that gas money for my guys that are sitting across from me, uh, buy some gear, bite me buffs and hats and shirts and stickers. We got a lot of buffs. Buffs. A lot of really buffs. Sold much. Yeah. Buffs really hadn't sold a whole lot. I thought they were going to be pretty, pretty well, popular. We need to get, we got a lot of stickers out there and a lot of shirts. I saw somebody posting a picture with one of our bite me shirts. I like the gray one. I like the green one, uh, yeah. or whatever it's called. Uh, sea foam or, or whatever Aqua it is. or sea foam or, yeah, yeah. something fancy like that. And, and your photos as well, your, your award-winning photos at scottnullphotography.com and, uh, Deadly Dudley. Uh, we always like to give him, I went fishing with him the other day. He's just a good dude, Paul, over there. So go to deadlydudley.com and you get that same promo code, bite me 20, B-I-T-E-M-E and the number's two zero. Uh, get your Deadly Dudleys there. It's a great bait. I've been using it forever. You guys know that. Uh, any parting shots, uh, guys, because, uh, I know you, sometimes you have this, uh, these wild thoughts at the end, Caleb, you won the otter race. Uh, there's no question about it. I didn't even want to have it. That's one of the reasons you wanted to, <laughs> but I'm sure our, our uh, listeners got a kick out of that. It, um, it's going to mean so much more to you when you get off of here. And yeah, you go yeah I'm just, hey, I'm guys, YouTube, his, his YouTube is going to blow up. <laughs> He's going to make so much off of this. <laughs> yeah, it, it, he got, he got, it's, a, it's what YouTubers kind of giggle about. He got absolutely crucified on social media 
But everybody was making fun of him, went and watched it. So they were paying him to make fun of him. Well, but, I'm going to go it, watch it. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm, sure. No, you're going to do it. No, man, no parting shots. Um, All right. Uh, you guys have been great. That was really good insight from Scale, uh, Caleb and uh, Scott. Maybe I'll start calling you Scaleb. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Here, here's my parting shot. You do not need a Glock when you see an otter. <laughs> Keep that in mind when you watch this video. You're holding a paddle. And you have at, at eight feet, this daughter is it just getting smacked. There is no reason to pull out firearms with red dot sights on them. And in all the years, I've never heard of an otter boarding a boat and scratching somebody's face off. I'm okay, sorry. Now you're that's a spoiler alert there. You should have told me that. But uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. All right, boys. Uh, man, we really appreciate you guys listening. Really good stuff from uh, Caleb and Scott today. I, I love having these discussions, and I know you guys do too. Don't forget to subscribe. Uh, don't forget the, the, the Facebook group page. You can go to the, uh, bite me podcast, um, Instagram page as well. Uh, hopefully you will get some fish this week or early part of next week. And uh, we will talk to you next time. Uh, Scott Noel really, really needs to end this podcast because I, I'm looking at the text message right now and he's got to go pee. Uh, yeah. I guess we could say that. We'll talk to you guys next time. Uh, have a good one. Catch a lot of fish and we'll see you then.